0: Good morning, Disciples Church. What a joy it is to be here together to sing and celebrate our good God. Uh, my name is Joshua Kirstein, I'm privileged to be the preaching pastor here at Disciples Church. If I haven't met you yet, I look forward to that. Uh, it's just a joy to see what God's doing and looking forward to our time together in God's Word, our time together in fellowship for our uh, all-church barbecue to follow this morning's time of worship and celebration of our God. Grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the letter of Ephesians Find that towards the back of your Bibles in the New Testament. encourage you to be bringing your Bibles with you to become familiar with Holy Scripture. I like to preach out of the ESV translation. We have Bibles in the back of the room, if that's helpful for you, places to take notes. We're just very excited to get to have the honor to preach God's Word. And uh, we want to preach it faithfully. We want to take our time to understand it rightly and in its context. And so we're in week four. Uh, of this sermon series, and we're moving into verse 5. So, taking our time to to dig into these great truths that are just so thick and solid, and what a blessing uh, in the front of this letter. Uh, I want to read the opening verses uh, for you who have been with us by way of reminder, and for you who haven't, to give you a little bit of context for where Paul's at in his opening exhortations of this letter Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for this time and this space that you've provided, that each person here you've gathered by your sovereign plan, that we would spend time together in fellowship and song and the study of your holy written word. What a privilege it is to have it, that we would cherish it more than we do, rely on it, trust it, and obey it. This is your word, the word of God, that you would instruct us, inform us, mold us and shape us, convict us and mobilize us, for what you would have for us, Lord, to live our days for your glory, to fight sin and turn away from the workings of the flesh, to see you do an amazing work of transformation in our lives and in those lives that you've put around us. Father, we exist for your glory, and we praise you for your grace and the work of Christ. The good news of the gospel sets us free. Help us to be good stewards of this time, to to put away anything that might distract us, any any of the temporary calling for our attention, that we would see and savor your holy word as you teach us and mold us and work in us life today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Part of the passage I want to focus on today reads, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. It says He, God, predestined us, the elect, His elect. Church, destiny is a real thing because God is sovereign and all created things are His perfect purposes for His plan. The fact that God is sovereign means... As the one true ruler and owner of creation, God has rightful and complete authority over all things. He has legitimate claim to absolute lordship. And His governing is just. Definition according to the Word of Truth Catechism. We also see the definition nearby for His providence, that God has works providentially. And that definition is God controls and directs all things. And He does so to fulfill His purposes after the counsel of His own holy will for His glory. God is the supreme being who answers to no one and who has the absolute right to do with His creation as He desires. Nothing happens without His ordination. Church, the fact that God is sovereign and providentially ordains all things means man's destiny is very real. We who are people of faith need to put away modern hedonistic, heathenistic notions of luck, and chance, and happenstance. Instead, see that God is over all things and holding all things according to His perfect will. Predestination is the very basis of the entire sermon I preached last week. Uh, if you're just joining us today, uh, and or you missed last week's sermon, I, I can't beg you enough to spend time to go to our website, get the Bible open, and just take an hour to sit with me through that means to study what we looked at in verse 4. It is so foundational, and what Paul's addressing there about God's unconditional individual election is so important to understand biblically, rightly, and he builds on it here today. And so I just pray that that's a context you have Uh, to remind you uh, the way we define God's unconditional individual election according to Scripture last week. It is this definition. Before creation existed, God chose which individual human beings would receive salvation from sin and death. This choice to redeem certain ones is not based on any so-called goodness, will, or work in them. Rather, it is based on the freedom and grace of God in Christ Jesus Alone, The doctrine of God's unconditional, individual election. To deny God's work in election, God's work in the word Paul uses today, predestination, is at worst to deny the God of the Bible. Or at best, to describe Him in a way that He does not describe Himself according to His holy word, Both are not good or God honoring. Listen to Paul's words again as he sets the table for what we see now next. Verse 4 Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Church, this is good news. That Paul is proclaiming and is reiterating as he moves into verse 5. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. In love he predestined us. Meaning our destiny was decided before creation. Now, it's bigger than that. For those of us who are His elect, who have been saved by His grace, for those of us for whom Christ died, we are loved unconditionally before time began by the Lord of all creation, the God of the universe. Think about that, Christian. God's love is set on you, not recently, not haphazardly, not because of your great performance, or out of pity because of your really bad performance, but before we did anything good or bad, Scripture says, before we breathed our first breath, before all creation was made, He set out to destine us to salvation, and as we will see today, to be a part of His eternal family. This is the doctrine of adoption. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. The term adoption in Scripture is equal or coincides with another term we see, which is sonship. It means to formally, legally, completely become a member of the eternal family of God. To be adopted. To become sons of God. But it is more than just belonging. We are, according to Scripture, heirs. We are participants in His glory. In our adoption, we are... Brought into His favor, His blessing. That was two sermons ago. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we enjoy a restored relationship with Him forever as objects of His electing love, His saving grace. Church, our adoption means that we are heirs of His glory. We are residents of His eternal kingdom. These are the things I want us to see in Scripture today and treasure in the deepest parts of who we are. One of my high objectives in faithfully preaching God's Word is that you wouldn't just gain information in your head, but your heart would be stirred with genuine affection and worship for the living God. Turn with me. To a few other places we see Paul reference adoption and sonship in the New Testament. We'll go on a little bit of a quick tour. And the first place I want to stop is in Romans chapter 8. And we'll be looking at verse 14 through 17. Romans 8 says a lot about these things, but for the sake of time, we'll focus in on just a few of these verses today. Beginning with Romans chapter 8, verse 14. which says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Those who have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is within them, meaning they've been saved, they've been forgiven. The Spirit of God does not dwell or have right relationship or union with we who are in our sin. No, God is rightly divided from us separated that we are under His wrath in our sin these who is being spoken of here are born again spiritually they're no longer slaves to sin but are now belong to God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ on our behalf he says for all who are led by the Spirit of God have the Spirit of God at work in us are sons of God. Did you notice that Paul said this too in in his words in the verse we're looking at today? In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. You're going to see this language all throughout Old and New Testament when the Bible talks about sons of Abraham or sons of God In some of these applications, what's being referenced is is to be an heir of his holy promises. The blessings he's prepared. In that culture, it was the firstborn son who would receive the, the inheritance of the family, or a majority of the inheritance. The prize was to be the firstborn son. And so... When the New Testament says that we are the elect who have been saved are sons of God or adopted as sons, no ladies who are in Christ, this applies to you too. This is a good thing. You want that term to apply to you as well because of what it means to be heirs, to have the inheritance and the belonging to God, That what that meant in that culture. It is for all the elect of God, male and female, who are saved by God to receive every spiritual blessing of God, an imperishable, eternal inheritance as heirs of God, because we are now sons of God in Christ. Peter says this so well in his first letter. Uh, Hear his confirmation of the sovereign work of God to save the elect. Uh, and therefore, what God gives us as a result of that, in the opening words of peter 's first letter, first peter, peter chapter one, he, he says that he 's writing to what he refers to as the elect exiles, those who are god 's elect, saved who are part of the body of Christ, but who are now because they belong to the kingdom of God like exiles in this land in this time and space that is still wrought with with sin and death and uh, is against the Holy God in every way that we who belong to Him are like exiles now. So he's writing to what he refers to as the elect exiles, a great term for us the modern church today. And he says this in verse 3-5, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same words that Paul uses in the opening of his letter here in Ephesians. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What a privilege it is to be formally and legally counted as a son of God in Christ. Can I just say, beloved church family, we have it so good. We who are in Christ are often guilty to live out our flesh and complain about our current family, our current circumstances, our current inheritance, or lack thereof. Have, I didn't. Have you been one of those people who, who kind of have looked left and looked right at people who've received amazing inheritance and you're going, oh, well, I don't think that's going to be my reality. I feel very... You know left out and and wow, how amazing would it be in the middle of my life to receive a hundred thousand dollars from Grandpa or whatever that might be and and yet, Christian, see with me how simple, temporary, petty the longing or disappointment for lack thereof that inheritance it is when we are heirs of an eternal imperishable, undefiled inheritance that we will enjoy for eternity. Oh, that we would be reformed and refined in our thinking and our convictions to repent of such a woe-is-me attitude when we're looking left and right at what we don't have. But instead, church, to stand in the truths of God and the power of the fact that we are adopted sons of God and what that means for us. This is His desire for us through the writings and the teachings of the New Testament. Brother, sister, in Christ, your inheritance as sons of God is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you, and it is secure like no security you know. How? So? It is being guarded, Peter says, by God himself. Yeah, no one's sneaking up and breaking in on your inheritance through the living God. It is as secure as it can be. Amen? This is awesome news. And our reality as sons of God. Church, these truths must transform our thinking, our mood, our motivation for the days God gives us here on earth. Let's continue in Romans 8. Let's look now at verse 15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Before I read on, can I just again challenge those of us who might be all too guilty all too often Of being in Christ, saved and set free, and yet living in all too much fear for how the temporary is going for what you might gain or lose. That it's not going to go the way you wished it would. That spirit of fear belongs to the old man, the old self, the flesh. It has no business being at work in the child of God power of God the presence of God cast out all fear you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba Father the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We who are redeemed and adopted into God's family call God Father, because He is our Father and because we are His children Did you notice if children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him, can our complaining, our woe is me, our fear that that we're letting the flesh creep back into what's restored in Christ, not only be put away and replaced with the truths of who we are in Him, but, but could we actually lean in? Look at me, don't miss this. Lean in to suffer, to suffering, as Scripture again and again calls us in this time and place to suffer, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him, that there is a call to suffering. The Christian life is a call not to prosperity, abundance, and all the nonsense people who are trying to get your money or trying to sell you on. No, no, it's a call to suffering. Jesus Himself said, those who really follow Me, they do what? They suffer. How did He say that? They take up their cross daily, a tool of suffering, and they follow Me. So it's the opposite. It's the opposite of what the flesh is clamoring for. To put away the eternal imperishable treasure belonging to focus only on the temporary no no the true christian child of god actually says may i suffer as christ did in the temporary as an heir with him for what is in the eternal may we actually approach the hardship with a completely different attitude towards it, church Consider with me the beautiful gift it is to be legally adopted by God the Father. Think about that. The God of the universe, the ruler of all things, the great and mighty I Am, is our Father if we belong to Jesus Christ. I don't want you to miss the potency of this reality and so to do that we got to climb into the bigness of who god is the set apartness of who god is so that we can fully appreciate the fact that he has drawn us near to be his kids of grace (laughs) consider with me even the teachings of jesus and how he taught the disciples to pray Matthew 6, 9, Jesus teaches the disciples to pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed here means holy, it means set apart. It means there's nothing common about who God is. He's high and lifted. Lord, may your name be set apart. In, in all that I am and the way I see you, the first thing Jesus teaches us to do when we pray is say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, the first priority of the heart is, is the height of who God is, the set-apartness of God. And so I just ask you, is God set apart higher than anything else in your heart or life? 1 Chronicles 29.11 Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. That belongs to you, Lord. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Reverent of who God is, is the best way not only to live our lives but to go to him in prayer throughout our days humbly approaching his throne longing to crawl up into his arms lost for words in the presence of his majesty humble in the shadow of his holiness grateful that he would save a sinner like me and you church church All Christian prayer is to the Father, through the Son, the Mediator, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We we don't pray to the Holy Spirit or to Jesus. We pray to the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why we don't pray like other religions or why we don't pray with other religions because there is only one true God. We we do not pray to other gods. We do not pray to Mary. We do not pray to the angels. We do not pray to family members who have gone before us. We pray to our Father. Father. Church, God is a good, good Father. Hallowed be His name. Some of you don't have a healthy birth family, blood family. You don't even maybe know your birth family. Some of you really don't like your father, your birth father. Some of you don't know what it's like to have a faithful, loving father. My deep prayer is that you who are in Christ would know a faithful and loving father. God, your father. It would transform you. It would motivate you and send you. It would bring healing to what is lacking in the temporary and motivation for what he has ahead. The truth of God's adoption is good news to us because we who were once separated from God in our sin were formally called children of wrath. We're going to see that in chapter 2 of Ephesians. But we've been adopted and made a forever part of God's eternal family. We have become children of God. No longer children of wrath. Consider with me the weight of this transformation. Paul is going to say it in his writings again and again and again. Why? He wants us to fully understand and embrace who we are in Christ and what it means to have become children of God. Romans 8.16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Understand, this is a formal thing. It's not like a, 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 a flippant thing. It's not like, oh, Timmy's like a son to me. No, no, no. That, that's an informal affection. You are formally, in Christ, children of God. Think about that. Those given new birth, saving grace, are formally adopted by God, who becomes our new father. Who is our old father? Well, according to Jesus' teachings, in places like the Gospel of John, he refers to those who are still dead in sin, have not confessed their sin, entrusted their lives to Jesus, been born again, that their father is the devil. Think about the family change that is the reality of our adoption in Christ. Praise be to our adopted Father, God the Father. And this clarity is the good news that we studied a few years ago in our sermon series through John's Gospel. And we saw it very potently in chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Which says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here's the sovereignty of God in salvation. Again see it again and again and again in the holy scripture contrary to what we've thought what we want to believe what we were taught growing up may we be corrected by the holy word of god as to how god works who receives jesus who believes in jesus name who does god give the right to become children of god those whom god ordains those whom he has chosen those who he gives new birth this is good news Jesus not only gave his life, not only came into the world full of people who have utterly and completely rejected him he came to save his people God gives us new birth, he gives us saving faith, he adopts us to be sons of God Praise God. This is the good news of all good news, church. See, see, see to it again that it is His choosing. And that that choosing is not based on what blood family I'm a part of. That, that's the clarity we just read. It doesn't matter what family we came out of. And it's not based on my will or choosing, but based on God alone. See, church, His love on us. See His intentionality for us. And so, hear what Paul's saying again. Ephesians 1, the last part of 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Please understand the context that Paul is stressing in this entire opening exhortation to those who are in Christ that our adoption was never plan B. This is really big news because adoption in our culture is almost always plan B, right? Families, couples get married, they want to have a family, they seek out to conceive and give birth to children. And if that doesn't work, then they might consider Adoption. But God planned that our adoption would not be the backup plan. But it was His perfect plan from eternity past. That's the emphasis here. Again, He predestined us for adoption before the creation of the world. Therefore, God's plan A was creation, fall, redemption, adoption, so that the full range of God's glory, mercy, power could be known and enjoyed and praised by His adopted children. Adoption was not second best. It was God's perfect plan from the beginning. In our lives, there is something uniquely precious about having children by birth. Amazing. Wonderful. There's also something very uniquely precious about adopting children. Each has its own uniqueness. Hear this clearly today a parent's choice to adopt children may be sequentially second in their hopes or plans, but it does not have to be secondary. It can be as precious and as significant as having children by birth. If you're newer to our church, you might not know my story. My wife and I have been married 20 years this year. We have three children by birth, and we have adopted two children. To us, adoption is so truly special that Jennifer and I are not holding back telling our adopted daughters that they were not our children at birth, but that we got to choose them in a way that we didn't get to choose our kids by birth. Noah, Parker, and Natalie were given to us by the Lord by His means of conception and birth. Jennifer and I were so stranger that we didn't find out what we were having for the first two kids. I watched old video of me coming out to a room full of you to announce what we had after that's like so rare these days. don't do that anymore. Who does that anymore? Weirdos, I guess. But we found out with Natalie. By conception and birth, we had our first three, but we uniquely got to choose Piper and Savannah to be our daughters the world wants to downgrade the importance of the familiness of an adopted child. And this is why I climb into this this morning, because that can grossly and negatively affect the potency of God's predetermined plan to adopt us. Because we might see that it's some kind of downgrade or, or second effort An adopted child is just as legally and fully our child as any that we've had by birth. We, the church, must understand this, or we have a jaded misunderstanding of the potency and power of our very own adoption in Christ. Church, I I want you to see And if you are in Christ, you are 100% God's child. Nothing is less important or secondary about us because we're adopted. Amen? Now consider the cost of adoption with me by turning to Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 5, another one of Paul's letters. He says. But when the fullness of time had come, He predetermined to adopt us, His elect, before time began. When the fullness of time had come, the means for that adoption goes into motion. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The word redeem here is very critical. To redeem means to obtain or set free by paying a price. What is the price that God paid for our liberation or adoption? In the previous chapter of Galatians, Galatians 3, verse 13, we see the answer. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. People pay a lot of money to adopt children privately. Tens of thousands, if not more, to do that. Very expensive. High cost. People go through much heartache, waiting, and hardship to adopt children through the state. Trust me, I know. It took us three years to adopt Piper. This is a real and heavy price to adopt a child that many pay. But I want you to see the price Jesus paid is infinitely greater. I pray you see the depth of God's love in your adoption in the costly price He paid to adopt you. If you are a part of God's family and you have ever felt unimportant, unloved, unwanted, you should never feel that way now that you are in Christ if you understand the specific choosing of God And the extent of the payments made to make you a forever part of his family. (laughs) In this passage in Galatians, Paul is also highlighting the legal realities God had to fulfill to adopt us. His own perfect justice and law demanded that we be punished and excluded from his presence for our sins. Righteousness was required. Punishment was demanded for those who fell short. God had to satisfy His justice and His law in order to adopt guilty sinners into His family. He could not skip paying the price or satisfying the legal requirements. He did this through the life, death, and resurrection of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. In this, I want us to also see that adoption involves the legal status of a child. It is based on God meeting the full demands of His holy law that we are adopted. We are legally made sons of God so that we can experience the full joy of sonship in Christ. See the price that was paid in the objective work of salvation, what Jesus did over 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary, as Jesus substituted Himself on our behalf, that it was complete it was finished the payment was not part way the legal demands were not kind of met they were fully met so that the subjective experience of our salvation is enjoyed as sons of God forevermore So it is with our adopting children today The legal transactions precede and undergird the growth of the family feelings And benefits of being a part of the family This is a legal red tape that many of you have gone through here in our church You know it well I'd love for you to hear the testimonies of families like the Williams, the Fosters, the Highfills um, The Watermans, others who have gone through this journey of adoption Every one of us will tell you, although it's very hard and the pain is real, and the le- and the legality is so f- so frustrating. I, I, it, it was such an eye opener. It was a huge moment for me in the three-year waiting process. This girl we love that we so long just to be ours, and we're feeling so vulnerable that the state could take her away any time. It's just the most just barren place that we've been in. So many of those trying to push off fear and just trust in the Lord and love her open-handedly and being so frustrated the state's lack of follow-through and why are we being so picky? And the judge finally corrected me in the middle of a proceeding and basically told me, you don't want us to cut this process short because if we don't meet all the legal pieces that terminate her birth parents' rights... To make her fully and rightly adoptable, you don't want that situation where you think she was fully yours in adoption, but because we didn't meet all the legal standards, we're coming back to your door later to say, we got to take her back. I get chills saying it right now. I, my jaw hit the floor. Uh, God, forgive. I, I'm sorry. I, your Honor, please continue. Right? Do not fast-track this. Do not skip the legal steps. Why? So that we can be confident and secure in the adoption that it's met the legal requirements. All the more, church, confident and secure that God has met all the ramifications of the legal requirements, that it is finished on the cross, and we who believe in Him are eternally His. And we would walk in that security. We would live the reality of, of the joy of that adoption as our testimony. What it means to belong. Oh, it is worth it. Praise God that Jesus saw it through according to the predetermined plan of redemption set forth before time. Praise God that Christ endured the abandonment, the political opposition, the beatings, the death, the taking on of our sin, So that our adoption could be made official. Most significant identity shift that happened in this church. We have to see this too. The gospel really on display. That we move from being a slave to sin, a spiritual outcast, into God's redeemed and eternal family. Listen to Paul's words to the church of Colossae. Colossians 1.13. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us, or transferred us, into the kingdom of the Son He loves. See the family, see the kingdom of the Son He loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's a transformation that Paul's talking about here, a change in our core identity that Christ has come to rescue us from death and redeem us to life. From lost to found. From belonging to our father, the devil, to belonging to God, the father of all creation. see that adoption only happens through the work of christ we belong to our father the devil because of our sin we belong to god the father because of christ and this is what paul says in our verse in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through jesus christ It is not because of what you and I have done. We cannot rescue ourselves. We cannot falsify the paperwork and merge ourselves into the family. Hear the good news. Let it wash over your soul and cause you to sing and dance and embolden your testimony of the gospel from this day forward. We have been rescued. We have been redeemed. We have been adopted. The gospel of Jesus is the very testimony of a gracious Heavenly Father who was not obligated in any way to save us and make us a part of His eternal family. Because of our sin and rebellion against Him, we deserve His wrath, we deserve His judgment, and surely not His mercy and grace. But in His amazing grace, God freely chose to adopt us into His eternal family at the costly sacrificial death of His one and only Son, Jesus. Galatians 4, 6-7 Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir God for all who are saved by Jesus unto new life with God we no longer are orphans who are spiritually enslaved to death we've been taken into God's eternal family given a heritage that is everlasting a belonging that we cannot undo this is something that every true Christian should be utterly grateful for Amen. Now look at me, what this means for us as we circle back. Ephesians 1, the last part of 4, verse 5. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus. Oh, how I want you to see and savor the love of God on us, His elect, His adopted children. Church, do you really get this in your heart of hearts to the point it affects every day of your life? First John four ten. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Hmm. Look at a few verses behind that. First John four seven through eight. Beloved. Let us love one another. We who are loved in God, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He, the knowing God here he's talking about is not just knowing about him with your head. I had someone share a testimony with me yesterday. A brother in our motorcycle club was talking about an old friend and he's not doing well. He's in his last days praying that he'd be saved and sanctified. And and, and he just kind of said, he he knows the Lord, but he's not following the Lord. And I said back to him, I said, the the scary thing about that is he, he might know about the Lord, But the key question is, does he belong to the Lord? I would argue that the true Christian who belongs to the Lord will follow the Lord. So let's pray for his salvation. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. real love, divine love is like God, holy, just, perfect. If you want true love in your life, you must have a living, restored relationship to the one true God. Because without Him, all you know is a counterfeit love, a humanistic love, not real love that is God. Outside of faith in Jesus Christ, outside of God's saving grace and divine intervention on one's life, outside of the perfect blood of Jesus poured out on the cross, we don't have a relationship with God. Therefore, we don't know true love. Not only do we not know it, but we therefore cannot love God and or each other in true love. Listen to what John says in verse 13-19. 1 John four thirteen through 19 By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God and abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have the confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Brother, sister in Christ, we love only because he first loved us. Do you first know that you are loved by the eternal God? with His electing love. Your true dignity then is not grounded in your circumstances or in what others think about you, but in God's electing love for you, His chosen adopted child. That's where your dignity is grounded, your value, your purpose. Do you know the deep security that it is to be anchored in the fact that God has always loved you before you did anything good or bad? You didn't earn it. You can't be demoted from it. His perfect love is put on you, His children. Is that an anchor? Is that a security for you that fights off the workings of the flesh and and, and, and the hardships and the suffering of this temporary place? The abandonment of others who should love you but didn't? I want to encourage you to not only consider what this means for you, but how that love moves through you to those God puts in your path. Those, God, those that God has entrusted to your household, to those you work with, to those that you'll interact with in the coming days and weeks and months. That, that, that this transformation, this, this gospel news would move through you, would be this most joyful part of, how are you doing? Let me tell you. And people who God gives ears to hear will hear it and repent and believe and rejoice. And people who God has not, then they won't. But that's not on you, that's on Him. You know what's on us? Testify the gospel to everyone He puts in our path in love, in truth. Not keep it to ourselves. Out of the overflow of this new identity in God, who is our Father, and our life with our adopted brothers and sisters. Not here, not just here, but around the world, would move us to a sacrificial love of others—the love of God at work in and through the church, like it is at work nowhere else. And so, when people want to say to Jennifer and I, "Like, man, you guys, you guys are something special. All these kids you're loving in foster care—it's our perfect opportunity to rebuke them. <laughs> Saying 'No, we're not.'" whatever you're seeing in that that you're wanting to put on us is not for us it is the work of God in and through us to cause us to do something that we know we will cry over hurt over suffer over that's not for us it's for them and and I'm just saying for us for my family in this season that's what we've Efforted to let that sacrificial love of God move out of us in. It's one of the ways we're attempting to do that. But I just ask you very practically today, what is that for you? Who, who are you sacrificially loving, serving, testifying to in a way that it costs you something? It's not for your good, it's for theirs. There's a plethora of ways by which that can happen. And, and really is why God gives us the next hours and days and weeks before us is for His holy purposes of the gospel going out. Otherwise, just take us home. Why? Because none of this temporary stuff I'm living for is worth anything compared to what's coming. Right? And by this, people will know that you are my disciples, Jesus says. That you have love for one another that love of God would move through us, church. Pray with me. Father, we we are so thankful for you and, and for what you have ordained, what you have done according to your perfect will, according to your perfect plan. And while we are likely guilty of having our own ideas about how these things should work, how they should have gone, maybe how they should have been wired That is just our arrogance and our sin that would cause us to think that we could outthink or outdo the holy God. And so let us joyfully confess our sin of our arrogance or our pride to think differently about these things. Let us confess the sin of making light of the beauty and the sacrifice and the cost and and the evidence of your love in our adoption. And, And Lord, let it let, let this time in Your Word move us, mobilize us with our Gospel testimony in a way that it has not yet before. We thank You, Lord. We love You. And, and, and I pray for those who are here who have had just enough religion, who have heard just enough of the things of God that they might know about God, but not know You, God, as Father as Lord, where you are the master of their life, no still they're still in charge of their days and ways, evidencing the fact that they're still Lord of their own lives. Lord, let them see that religion is not enough, that, that the movement that they might have made down an aisle at one point or the, the the seasons they put in to serve others or the church is is not anything for anything when we stand before the judgment seat but only true fellowship with jesus that he that we would truly know him be transformed by him and belong to him belong to you we're desperate for your grace your saving grace we're desperate for your sovereign work and new birth to break us, to help us to see our sin and savor the gospel and the work of of you through Jesus Christ, that we would believe not just about but into. We would we would forever be changed, reborn. So I pray that for anyone still dead in sin, that they would repent of their sin and confess and entrust you with their lives and be reborn and adopted in your family. What a joy! And so as we prepare to to go, as we prepare to even fellowship among each other, those whom you've gathered here today and then leave this campus to go out into this city and the city surrounding and and this week that we would be mobilized with a gospel testimony, a a joy, an excitement to share who you are and what you've done. To sacrificially love those that you put in our path, to seek out those who need that gospel love that you've given us. Father, you are all we need. I praise you that you've made us kids of grace. Let us sing and celebrate that now. In Jesus' name, we pray.